So we do, as Chris said, start a new series today. It's called Disciple. Just a simple name, Disciple. You know, in America today, the church is sort of losing ground. Uh, not just since COVID either. Of course, attendance has been down in churches all across our land since COVID started. But also, church membership has been down in churches even before COVID. And part of that, my personal, I guess you could say, guess is because so many churches were trying to get attenders, they forgot to make disciples. And Jesus wants disciples. You may remember the name Mahatma Gandhi. He was a Hindu. He was also a lawyer. Most people don't know that. But he worked in India trying to free the Indian people from the domination of Great Britain. And he used a lot of tactics, uh, uh, nonviolent protest and things like that. But Gandhi, though he was a Hindu, began to read the Bible. And he was even thinking that he might become a follower of Jesus until one day he went to a church. In India, you may know they have the caste system, and that's various social groups, and you don't associate with people outside your social group. And so he went to this one particular church, but he was not of the caste that the people that went to that church were. And when he went to the front door, the leaders of the church asked him to leave, saying, you are the wrong caste and the wrong color skin. Gandhi said after that point, I might have become a Christian were it not for the Christians. They turned him away. They turned him off. You know, Jesus would never do that. A disciple, a true disciple of Jesus would never do that. We, we, need, to, we need to learn about what Jesus means when he calls us to be disciples. I like what Ruth Graham once said, the wife of the late Billy Graham. She said, don't judge the church by the Christians. They're all flawed. Judge the church by Jesus. And Jesus has called his church to be a church of disciples who were followers of Jesus Christ. Now, the church does in many ways get a bad rap. A few bad Christians can make the whole church seem bad. And we know that there are many good disciples within the church. But we want to make sure that we're all following Jesus, that we're all good disciples. And despite what you may have been told or what you may have believed, Jesus came not just to say, I want you to come to heaven. Jesus came to say, I want you to be a disciple. And he came preaching truth and grace. And the truth is, we've all sinned. We all fall short. God loves us all, but that sin separates us. But he sent Jesus to die on the cross to be grace for us, to bring grace. He paid the penalty for our sin, that we can be restored and become his disciples. Grace does not excuse sin. It does not condone sin. It forgives sin. But Christ calls us to something even greater than just overcoming our sin. He calls us to discipleship. So we raise the question, what does Jesus call disciples to? 
A lot of people think, well, he just wants me to get to heaven, so I believe in him, and I'm, I'm going to heaven. Jesus wants us to be disciples. So we're going to explore this idea over the, today and the next six weeks of what it means to be a disciple. You know, let me ask you a question. I want to make you think just a little bit. Do you think Jesus just wants people to be saved? You're saved, you're saved. And then there are some people, you're a disciple, and you're a disciple, but these over here, they're, they're just saved. They're not really disciples. You think that's how it works? No. Jesus calls all the saved to be disciples. He wants us to be a disciple. So how do we define a disciple? What is a disciple? I mean, if we're going to talk about disciples, we've got to know what we're talking about, right? That's what this series is all about. And in Jesus' time, in the first century, and that's where we have to start because Jesus is the one that says, I want my followers to be disciples. So we have to take his definition of disciple. And in that day, a disciple was someone who had a teacher or sometimes called a rabbi or sometimes they called master. And these students would follow that teacher and try to emulate him, try to be more like him as, as they grew and as they studied under this teacher. Of course, Jesus had the apostles, the twelve, and then he had some other men that were part of his group. And Jesus even had women disciples, which was unheard of in the first century. But Jesus had this group. The book of Acts tells us that by the time Jesus ascended, he had amassed a whopping church of about 120 people. And Jesus had these followers. But we're going to look today in Matthew chapter 16, and we'll begin there to think about this idea of discipleship. So, Matthew was one of his disciples, and uh, he traveled with Jesus. He was uh, with Jesus for about three and a half years in Jesus' earthly ministry, and Matthew wrote down this gospel. Now, this gospel is primarily written with a Jewish flavor. Matthew was Jewish, and it, it has a, a lot of stuff that Jewish customs that are not explained in it. So you have to study a little bit when you look at the book of Matthew. But Matthew is, is a very prominent book. It is the first gospel in our Bible. It was probably not the first one written, but it takes prominence in the Bible as being the first book of the New Testament. Uh, Mark was probably the first written. But as we look at this, we're going to begin to learn about what Jesus meant by this idea of a disciple. Now, the primary purpose of Matthew's writing was to show the Jewish people that Jesus was their Messiah. And we'll say more about what the Messiah is in just a minute. But he records here, we're going to look at in chapter 16, um, a, a teaching that Jesus gave to this group of followers, probably just the apostles. Now they had been preaching and teaching in Galilee, uh, which is around the Sea of Galilee and various places, probably Capernaum. And they went north to a place called Caesarea Philippi. It was a town there that had been rebuilt in honor of Philip, uh, one of the uh, sons, I think, of one of the Caesars. And, and they pulled away. It was probably just Jesus and the twelve apostles at this time. And Jesus does his teaching. And he asks some questions. And the first question is, who do they say I am? 
Who are the people saying I am? And this is designed to make those apostles think. And they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, come back to life. And some say you're Elijah, the great prophet. And others say you're the great prophet Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And Jesus says, but who do you say I am? And Peter jumps up, being the leader that he is, and he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christ, Messiah, mean the main, same thing. And throughout Jewish history, the, uh, all the way back to Moses, Moses talked about one God was going to send, and the Jewish people believed it would be this Messiah. Messiah means anointed one or king. And the word Christ is the Greek form of that, or Christos, when we put it in English as Christ, means anointed one, king. And, and God had always pointed people through the Old Testament that he was going to send this Messiah, this, this great leader of these people, and they thought he was going to be military, he was going to be political, and he was going to lead Israel to promise and, and kick the Romans out who ruled the world at this time and that he was going to bring Israel back to be a prominent nation once again. Peter thinks Jesus is that guy. He is the Christ, son of the living God. You know, we say that, that's called the confession of faith. We say that when somebody places membership in our church. We ask them to, to repeat that confession of faith. I believe Jesus is the Christ. Son of the living God, my Lord and Savior. And, and uh, Peter's making that confession. And Jesus says, well done, Peter. Can you imagine Jesus saying to you, well done. You, you did a good, good thing. That was not revealed to you, he said, by, my father in, uh, by, by man, but by my Father in heaven. So Peter got it. He got a word from God. And the first thing I want you to think about today is, that understanding the call begins with understanding who Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the King. He is the Anointed One. He was the one that the Hebrew people and all the apostles were Hebrews, they were Jewish, and they thought, they thought that Jesus was that guy and they were going to be in his cabinet. They were going to be right by his side. They are going to be the big wigs of the empire. They're going to assist. And Peter was the leader of the apostles. He's going to be second in command to Jesus when he takes over and we're going to run the nation of Israel. The problem is that's not what was going to happen. When Jesus was being questioned by Pilate before Pilate condemned him to be crucified, Pilate asked him we're a king and Jesus didn't exactly say yes, but he said, it is as you say. And then he said, and, and the point of that is, if he were claiming to be a king, Pilate would have no choice but to have him crucified because that was Roman law. But Jesus then says something. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. Now what does that mean? His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. Jesus came to build a spiritual kingdom. That's what the kingdom of God is. And the thing that we need to understand is that Jesus is God in the flesh. In John chapter 1, 
Verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 there in, first, in John 1 says, The Word became flesh, and it indicates it's talking about Jesus. He was with God, and He was God. Over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, it says Jesus is the exact representation of God. He is our leader. He is our Savior. And Jesus even said, The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and of life. He is the life-giving King that we are to follow. We've got to come to understand who Jesus is. Now watch what happens after this question and answer period with the apostles. Verse 21, Matthew 16. From that time, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised alive. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now let's think about what's happening here. Jesus goes from praising Peter to rebuking him. You see, accepting the call begins with setting aside worldly concerns and focus on God's concerns. Peter's telling Jesus, look, Jesus, you're, you're going to be the king. You're not going to die. That's, that's not the way I got this thing all figured out, Jesus. You're, you're, you're going to take over, and we and I'm going to be right there with you, and we're going to rule this nation. And we're going, we're going to get this thing going again like it's supposed to be. Kick the Romans out. We're going to be wealthy. We're going to be great. But you see, Peter's thinking with this worldly motive, this human mindset. And Jesus said, Peter, you don't have in, th- in mind the things of God. You're thinking about the things of this world. He calls him Satan. He's really not calling him Satan. What Jesus is saying, Peter, I'm the leader. Get behind me. You're thinking like Satan, Peter. Don't think like Satan. And that's what Satan does to us. He tries to make us think, I'm the most important. I need to look out for me. I need to get what I want. I need to meet my personal desires. That's the way I'm going to be happy and I'm going to find the fulfilling life is when I get everything I want and that's what I'm working for. You know, the opposite's really true. When you get God first and you figure out what God wants, that's where life begins. That's where the good life begins. That's where the right life begins. And that's where you will find the most fulfillment in life. Listen with me to uh, Philippians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul's writing to the church there, and he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Have the same love, 
being one in spirit and of mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We got to get things in perspective. Jesus really looks at, rebukes Peter, but then look at what he says. Matthew 16, verse 24, then Jesus said to disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can one, some, anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with the angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before you see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. You've got to think about those first few lines of what Jesus said. You see, this is a call to change, a radical change in mindset. It's a radical change. Again, being a disciple is learning from the life of Christ. Now, we'll never be Christ, but we can be Christ-like. And look at how he says we accomplish that. We deny ourselves. That means we set aside selfish desires. You know, really, we come into this world with a, with a selfish bent. I mean, we're little babies. We want what we want when we want it. We get hungry. We start crying. Those of you who are parents and grandparents are shaking your head. And little babies, they just cry. They want it now. They don't say, excuse me, uh, would you take some time to fix me some dinner now? Of course, they can't do that. Or their diapers get dirty and they cry and they want you to change them now. They are self-centered and focused. Unless they have someone to teach them how to overcome that, they will never overcome it. And we've all met some children that have not overcome it yet. But we're all like that to some degree. We want it our way. We're, we're Burger King generation. Have it your way. Okay? And, and we, we want it to, to come to us the way we want it, when we want it, how we want it, but Jesus says no. And you see, there's a problem. We have this thing called the ego, and we've got to feed that ego, and that makes us feel good, makes us feel like we're somebody, and we want to fill in all that. And Jesus says, guys, check your ego at the door. Deny yourself and put God first. Now, that may seem like, well, that's just going to ruin my life. No, that's the key to having the life that God wants you to have. That's where God wants you to begin. Now, the Bible never teaches that we're supposed to give up everything and live a life of poverty. In fact, if we go over to 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul is, again, writing to Timothy, a young minister, and listen to what he says about those who have plenty, the rich, he calls them. 
Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. He said, don't put your hope, don't put riches first, put God first. And then you'll get all this in perspective. The God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He's given us stuff to enjoy in this life. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. And most of us know when we spend our time trying to chase the almighty stuff of this world, we end up never truly being happy. We never get fulfilled because stuff won't do it because we are spiritual beings. We have a spirit. And we have to feed that spirit. And the way to feed that is through our relationship with God and putting Him first. Saying yes, no to self, and yes to God. Taking ourself off the throne and putting God on the throne and making Him the King, the Messiah, the Christ of our lives. Secondly, he says, take up your cross. You know, in the first century, the cross was the sign of death. It was the instrument of capital punishment. It was the electric chair of the first century. And you may or may not know this, when you were sentenced to be crucified, you were beaten with a whip by a Roman soldier, and then you had to take the crossbeam of the cross, and you had to carry it through town where all the people would see you. That was sort of a deterrent for people to do bad things and get sentenced to be crucified and then you had to march it out to where they were going to crucify you and then they nailed you to it and they put that cross beam up on the the center part of that cross but you had to carry your cross now when jesus was sentenced to be crucified he was not sentenced to death he was not marching to his death he was marching to sacrifice for life and Jesus is calling us to be part of that, to a, a commitment of sacrifice. That's what he calls us to. That we sometimes have to set our own selfish desires aside and sacrifice what we want to be what he wants us to be. Remember, Jesus said the whole of Scripture hinges on these two ideas, that we would love God with all our heart and soul and mind and that we would love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And that love there is not a romantic kind of love. It is a sacrificial kind of love. That's what he calls us to. So we ought to understand we're called to this sacrifice. Next he says, follow me. And I yourself take up your cross and follow me. That is an obedience to Jesus' leadership. And Jesus will lead you to an amazing, fulfilled life if you will follow. But we've got to make up our mind we're going to follow him. And it's not just about going to church for an hour on Sunday. Yes, he wants you to do that. But it's about developing a relationship with him. How do you develop a relationship with anybody? You spend time with them. We spend time with Jesus through prayer, through reading his word, through being 
you know, together in groups of people where we share what we've learned about Jesus together. We listen for His voice. We look for the guidance of the Holy Spirit as we go forward. And then there has to be a willingness to go where He leads us to. And you know what? He's going to lead you maybe somewhere you don't want to go. You know what's true, though? Most people that become Christians, He don't want to move you to a different town. He, he just wants you to be Christian where you are. He just wants you to take Jesus into your workplace, where, wherever that is. He wants you to take Jesus into wherever you play and find your enjoyment. He just wants you to, to be different in how you deal with situations and how you deal with people because He wants you to be Christ-like and loving in all that you do. Now, there are some that He's going to call. There's some old boys that he's going to call to leave Knoxville and come to Bristol and preach at Central Christian Church. Even if we come kicking and screaming. No, we came because we wanted to come. There's going to be some he's going to say, I need you to go to Africa. And he's going to call some of us to go to Africa and be missionaries. We saw the video today. They're sending people all over the world. You know, those people that, that go... It's not because somebody said, hey, we're going to pay you extravagantly if you'll go to these foreign countries. No, they're getting paid peanuts and they're being sent to places where they, you know, they may have dirt floors where they live. But they go because God called and they heard and they followed the call that God put on their life. Listen, Jesus took a ragtag bunch of fishermen and he says, guys, leave your nets and come follow me because you're going to fish for men. And he led them and taught them how to do that, and they established the church. And look at all the men they've caught over the ages. And some people, he's, he, he, he's going to call you to do things. Maybe he just leaves you right where you're at and just uses you in that area of influence, or maybe he calls you somewhere else. Soren Kierkegaard says we, we have two kinds of believers. He said we have admirers that can sit back from afar and look at Jesus and admire, oh, isn't he so good? He's so great. But the minute something difficult comes along, he said, well, maybe, maybe it's not for me. But then you have followers. When something difficult comes along, they say, okay, Jesus, let's do this. You, you, you lead me. I'm going. I'm following you. Joseph Stoll was a president of Moody Bible Institute some years ago, and he went on a mission trip. He went to uh, Soviet, former Soviet Union. And he met there a preacher of a church, and he began to talk to him and about this preacher's history and what he had done. He started, I started preaching at a church in my 20s <clears throat> during the Stalin era, and they were trying to stamp out Christianity. And he said a group of KGB, KGB men came to my church and met with me and said, we tell you what, we're going to let you be the preacher of this church and we're going to pay you, but you've got to tell on all your people in your congregation what, you're, what they're doing, if they're doing anything against, uh, you know, uh, Russia and, and everything. You've got to be our spy, so to speak, but we'll let you remain. And he said, no. Despite all the money they were going to pay, I, I can't betray my God. I'm following my God, and I can't betray my people. And so they sent him to a prison camp in Siberia. 
cold, desolate place. And he said there were about 1,500 people that went, and most of them were Christians, and they were sent to that prison camp because they were Christians, and they would not bow down to Stalin and his KGB. And he said they had some great fellowship there. He was there for 10 years in that prison camp. And he said, what we did, they sent us out to build buildings for the government in all these different little towns in Siberia. And they said, well, what happened? He said, we got to share the gospel, and in every one of those towns, we established house churches throughout the whole land. Joseph, Joseph Stoyle said the man just got the biggest grin on his face when he said, we built churches all over Russia. And Joseph Stoyle made this thought. He said, can you imagine God sitting in heaven and saying, how do I get missionaries to go to Siberia? Oh, yeah, I just need a couple of obedient preachers that are willing to stand and follow me, and that'll take care of it. There are Christians all over the former Soviet Union because of work of men like that who were obedient and followed Jesus. I don't know. I don't know what Jesus is calling you to, but he's calling you to something. He wants you to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. That's being a disciple. And here's our connection. Giving your life in this way leads to finding the life God desires for you. Jesus doesn't call us, live how you want and I'm going to take you to heaven. That's not the message. The message is, follow me and you'll end up in heaven. Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And you'll find the best life that God has in store for you here on this earth that will lead to even greater life. S.I. McMillan tells a story about a young girl who wanted to go to college. She was pretty shy. She's not very outgoing, but she filled out the application, and she really got scared when she came to a question and said, Are you a leader? She thought, I'm not a leader. If I check no, they're probably not going to let me into the school. But she had to be honest, so she checked no. A few weeks later, she got a letter back from the college, and she opened it up and read it. We are proud to announce that you are accepted to XYZ College. We wanted you to know that this year we will be welcoming 1,453 leaders into our college, and we thought we should have at least one follower. Jesus wants followers. He wants more than one. He wants you. Be his disciple. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's sometimes, it's sometimes hard, Lord. It sticks right in our gut. You poke us and you say, Hello, I'm the king. You want the best life, you come follow me. I'm going to take you on a journey. It's going to be amazing. You're going to do things you never dreamed you can do. You're going to see things you never dreamed you would see. 
You're going to help me change the world. That's what he calls us to. That's what our disciple is. Lord, be with us in the weeks to come as we think about the various elements of being a disciple and how we go about just following you, Lord, finding this wonderful life that you have in store for us. It's never too early to begin. It's never too late. So anybody in the sound of my voice can begin this journey today. And I pray that they will. In Jesus' name, amen.